Welcome to the latest edition. This is uh, hashtag 34 and we're still going. I've got a room full of human beings. I've got Mauro who's uh, co-hosting. It's yeah. been are you a human being? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a Sometimes. while actually we spoke, right? Since the last episode, yeah. yeah. And you were supposed to be back here since June. Yeah, that's right. That's when you uh, first uh, invited me to come back. Yeah. Right, right. And how has it been since then for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still going, going through the motions. Right. Taking it day by day. Right. So today we're talking about the queer way of life. Um, We don't know how it's going to go. We've got two amazing people. Um, They are a couple. I don't know if it's good to sort of disclose that. We've got Jean and we've got uh, Jean Lewis and we've got uh, Naledi. Welcome to the Visions and Tones. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) So welcome. Thanks for agreeing to have a chat with us. Um, It's a hard topic. Isn't it? Well, it's not so hard when I think it's like your lived experience. You just talk exactly. about your life. So, yeah. 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 I'd say it's not so hard for us. No, not so, at all. But have you done this before? Like, have a chat with friends or even on a platform like this? I've never done something like this before. Mm-hmm. But um, I've definitely had a lot of conversations with friends, a bit with family. That's a bit harder. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Um, yeah, like I think I talk about it a lot. I think it like sort of feeds into everyday, my everyday life. I think I always jokingly try and recruit people. I'm like, but how do you know you're not queer? queer. And I think that's just because I think, yeah, queerness has a vastness to it in terms of like people's experiences. So I'm like, everybody's a little bit queer, truthfully. Um, but yes, no, like I speak about it all the time, very comfortably. And more in the way of just like sharing my experiences of life and the way I interact, I guess, right, with right. the world. I mean, before we get more deeper, I think you've opened up a whole lot of kernel of worms already. There's a lot of stuff that I wanted to ask there, but let's just take the opportunity. Who is Jean and who is Naledi? So, um, I'll also just say my name is Jean Louise. Sorry. Oh, Jean. Oh, <laughs> I, right. I should have said that before. Um, but yeah, so I um, guess. Yeah, so I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a cisgender woman and I'm um, queer. Um, And I'm a PhD student at the University of Newcastle. Um, Gender makes up part of my PhD research, but mainly working around care with women from refugee backgrounds. That's pretty interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm South African as well. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, um, <laughs> so yes, I'm Naledi, um, South African as well, um, and I happen to find myself in Australia because I'm visiting Jean Louise, my partner. Um, but yes, I'm a cisgender woman as well. I identify as being a lesbian. Um, my pronouns are she/her. I'm currently doing my honours. I'm finishing off at the end of this year um, in financial management. And yes, that's me. You're studying in South Africa? Uh, yeah, I'm studying in South Africa. That's amazing. Um, Tony, uh, has any guest ever asked you, what's your, how do you identify yourself? My pronouns? Yes. Yeah, nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah, sex, gender, and sexuality. How do you? I think it's good yourself? practice. It like, is something practice. to know, like, to obviously share your pronouns because it's not assumed, but also try to ask people's pronouns because you just never know, even in terms of their presentation, mm. which is. Mm. Than that whole I don't know. I mean, 
that is important and i don't think personally i've got a problem with people who might want to use pronouns and whatever mm. um but i think i think for me personally there's many other things that i sort of would rather worry about mm. um and this is not to say i'm sort of overlooking or undermining people who want to use pronouns and whatsoever for heaven's sake i still have people who don't know how to pronounce my surname so mm. my surname is nyundu and then people say nyundu so I'd rather really be thinking more about how do I get you to sort of be able to call my surname very well as opposed to, because people still will make mistakes. I mean, even if you're a queer couple, even if you'd say you, you sort of identify maybe as a he, someone might say a she to you. You get what I'm saying? And I don't want to sort of deal mm. with those kind of triggers because people will often make mistakes. I mean, the idea of pronouns is fairly new and people do make mistakes. But at the same time, there's not to say there's no other people who sort of would call you with what they think you are in a malignant way, so to say. Yeah, I think um, I would say a bit amongst queers anyway, we often will use like they, them pronouns for someone before we know someone's pronouns. Mm. And often um, that would be like one of the first conversations you have with someone. And it's not like a weird thing to ask. And it actually like normalizes it, even if you are cisgender like we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that there's like a little bit of misunderstanding about uh, use of pronouns because we all do use pronouns like he and she which yeah. we are you know are often associated with what we've been assigned at birth but then like the singular they not to get too grammatical but right. <laughs> you know like if someone loses something and leaves it at your house you're like oh whose is this they left it here like, mm-hmm. if you don't know who, what like, um, what their gender is, you would use they right, them already. Right. So we, yeah. do it, we do it already. But in the but case where then you come across somebody who's part of the queer community, but they say they don't use pronouns, does, does that so make I, you feel awkward about it? About I think them? what you're more inclined to find is, look, I think for the most part, I'm going to generalize this and it's obviously, so people can correct me, but for the most part, Everybody has a pronoun, which it is that they ascribe. Sorry, Naleda, I think I'd love... Yeah, you okay. can just pull it close. I'd love okay. to hear your voice. You've got a okay, good voice, yeah. but if I hear you from a distance... Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. I think that, truthfully, everybody has a pronoun. It's just, you know, a functional term, which it is that you ascribe to yourself. But then I think, obviously, as we begin to, as we begin to delve into, like, sort of the idea of querying life, and I think broadly, in terms of representation, people have preferences for what it is their pronouns are. And the value in asking somebody, like, you know, building the practice of asking somebody what your pronouns are, is that you're trying to, you're trying to normalize the idea that gender, first of all, means different things to different people. And you're trying to sort of like grow the idea that, you know, the gender which it is that we have is something that is personal. And that, like your name, like obviously you explained your surname, that you have a preference for people knowing how to say your surname there's an importance to that and you admit there's there's a historical context to that because historically specific surnames in specific contexts or names are not given a certain respect in terms of people actually making the effort to pronounce them one can say the same for pronouns that somebody for example who's non-binary that is their identifier it speaks to who it is that they are and so the importance of asking somebody what's your pronoun is to affirm the fact that i see you for how it is that you wish to represent yourself in a society that might have marginalized you into an identity that does not resonate with you so for you like i can understand that it might not be something that is 
as important, which is fair, but I think you have a pronoun that, like you ascribe to a very normative pronoun in the sense that um, you're a cisgender man, I'm making mm-hmm. assumptions yeah. here, you yeah. identify with the pronouns he, him, and so you don't really have to think about it. But for people where that hasn't been their experience, there is the importance in asking, well, what are your pronouns? And so that's why within queer life, and I think it should extend beyond the queer circles, asking somebody what's your pronoun and normalizing that as a part of conversation in the same way we ask, what's your name? How do you pronounce it? What's your surname? How do you pronounce it? That was well said. Mm. Wow. Very much. So what are your pronouns, Tony? How do you identify yourself? Sex, gender, gender, sexuality. So then I guess it's he, him. Male. Yeah. Uh, Straight. Yeah. Okay. And you, Mara? Same cisgender, he, uh, male, straight. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Um, the militancy, and I'm not sure if I should call it the militancy in terms of why so much anger from the queer community if one um, misses your pronouns. Because I know that in terms of other people's surnames, <clears throat> Sorry, or even names, so to say. I said Jean and you say Jean. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. You're surname probably only fear? Yes. Right. Nice. So, but some people <laughs> might call a different surname, and you find that very often people, if I call your surname incorrectly, yeah. well, most people, I don't have really stats for this, they might not really be more offended than what is happening today within the queer community. Like, it seems there is, as opposed to, can you respect me? For some queer members, it seems like there's this imposition that I you need to get it right. Because if you're not getting it right, therefore we're not having any progress. But really, we're not really having any progress? Well, I think that we we are having progress. But also, Naledi and I are cisgender. So it isn't our like experience necessarily to use um, they, them pronouns. But from people... So we can sort of speak... Um, from the perspective of people that we know, but it's not our own personal experience in that sense. Um, but I think it's kind of similar to what you said about yeah. like, people mispronouncing your name. Because your name, again, is a big part of your identity. And I can resonate with that a bit, like people mispronouncing my name. It's not a huge deal um, in that sense, but like the re- repetition of it can get a bit frustrating. Right. Yeah. And maybe you've had that experience yeah, yourself. Definitely. You're like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's not that hard. Um, And I think it's a similar way that if someone um, uses they, them pronouns, in the people that I know that use they, them pronouns, um, they don't actually get like visibly upset Mm. or angry at that person. It's more when they go home or later on, it's like, oh, that sucks. Or like, just like a passing comment, like that's annoying because it, it's like that invalidation of something that's important to your identity mm. in a similar mm. way to your name. Mm. And I know that some people can be very angry about it, but I think that the emphasis is on trying um, to get it right. And if you make a mistake, just apologizing and correcting and quickly moving on, like it doesn't have to be right right i don't know what what do you think yeah i think like i would resonate on your sentiments about it i think off the bat it's not something which it is that we can say okay well this is it because it's not our lived experience Mm. as far as being non-binary let's say that much however in my experience of people that are non-binary in the moments i'm going to be honest I have friends who I know are non-binary and sometimes I will misgender them. It's because in many ways, 
I think all of us are going through this process of an unlearning where mm-hmm. it is that we're trying to move from what we understand to be the case or what we understand to be normative culture to what we understand to be, I think, a culture that is more inclusive and representative of the people in it, in all of their um, different intersects, right? So I admit that I have moments when it is that I will, by mistake, misgender. And mm-hmm. I'll go, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I mean they or them, depending on what the sentence is, right? So it's like, think about it like this. If it is that you have somebody like, her name is Mbali, and there's this white lady that always calls her Mbali, even though Mbali, like, corrects this woman every time, my name is Mbali. And I think the first time, like, Mbali might just look it over, but when it becomes Mbali, at some point, I think, she gets the frustration that you're not making the effort to say my name right. Versus if the lady said Mbali, but Mbali or some variation of it, but you could see there's an effort you can understand why in the first instance, you know, Mbali is annoyed because you can see that this white lady has disregarded yeah. the fact that this is how you pronounce my name. You could make a little bit more effort. In the second instance, she's less inclined to get frustrated because she's like, okay, well, at least somebody's trying. But she might have moments of the realization that I have a name that in certain spaces is mispronounced and doesn't give value to who it is that, that I am and my identity in that regard. And so think about it, if I was going to say an analogy, think about it like that. There are some people that feel, I think, for whatever reason it is, which it's not for us to discount, I think a stronger resonance to the idea of people getting it right. And that's their right to do that, because I think historically they have not been represented in terms of great society. But you'll find more often than not, it's just saying, make the effort to recognize that this is who I am and try your best you know, to get it right and genuinely try, don't disregard it and say, okay, well, why do I have to call you that? It's like, that's not the point. That's what it is that I am. I mean, yeah, I think. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just pointing out that I uh, agree with what you said there, because this, this exercise is mainly personal and you, with the with whoever you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But obviously, in a conversation like this, we would tend to uh, try to find a general formula which can miss part of the exercise, which is recognizing someone's individuality. Totally. So, like again, if uh, Tony, you turn to me and you want to be called, you want to be treated by X, me as a friend. My position is to recognize why you want to be treated, called that way. I'm pronouncing your surname wrong. So this is an exercise that I would make with you personally uh, and not create a general formula by which I can uh, treat everyone else. Not everyone else is, um, will respond to things the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so if, if there's any takeaway from this uh, part of the podcast, would you say that they, them is the best way to um, address non-binary? Would, would that be the safest so well, let's say you're in a position where you're, would they then be the... I guess like even in um, my job, um, yeah, yeah. we have that as like a blanket thing. We'll yeah, use yeah, yeah, yeah. they, them they pronouns them, yeah. for everyone and, um, until, until we yeah. know what their... What they prefer. Right, what they prefer. Exactly, well, yeah. yeah, what their pronouns are. But um, so I just sort of do that in my everyday life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I can understand that certain contexts, it, like it doesn't necessarily fit um, depending where you are, but I think 100%. like if in doubt, yeah, they then yeah, is always yeah. a good one to go with, yeah, um, because then you know that like, like that's that's quite well accepted within the queer community, mm-hmm. um, and asking is also very normal and okay to ask someone what, what are your pronouns. I think we that's the usually the port of call you start yeah. with. If it is you have the opportunity to find out, is just ask, just and I mean. You can do it like how you say, oh, hey, my pronouns are she, her, what are yours? 
you just mm-hmm. yeah, that way you eliminate way having it. to try and figure it out because i think even like with this conversation obviously you can dissect it even further and people might have contention with using they them as the standard and then deviating from there because it feeds into other sort of like foundational ideas of gender that one might have so the best port of call is ask if you can't ask they them is a safe bet but recognizing that like you said Mario, there's no perfect formula for how it yes. is that you go about it i've been i've been wondering though how did the idea of pronouns come to effect basically because you mean general like including he him not not just he him but i mean like how does the English i, I mean work? i mean in the context of now the queer community and the fact that then most people's concerns about the different kinds of pronouns is the fact especially they while you're referring to a single individual has some sort of implication in the linguistics um in what way context um i mean when i say they in a in, a, in an english sentence and i say oh i met they i, I met them or oh, listen is, is them part of a pronoun or yes they? they them let's say i met them um yesterday and 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 you know we had a cup of tea on whatsoever uh probably what will come in your mind if i if if we've never said nothing before i've never told you who as in calling out a name and it's like oh Mara, i met them yesterday um i'm not sure if that sentence if you're um, um, they I'll died. To look at, what was that? They died. Um, I guess so. The example you used earlier was yeah. a good one where we already use they yeah. them pronouns to refer to someone um, in normal speech. But I can also understand that part of the exercise is also to uh, find a perhaps break free from convention mm. and finding out what works. So if they them is a step towards finding out what works, I don't mind using that in in that exercise. Yeah, and I but think yeah, oh, sorry. no, 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 no. You, you you can take over, but I, I definitely uh, there are sentences where we already use they them, um, which I guess yeah, yeah, you can highlight. Yeah, um, like that example I gave before, um, like if someone has forgotten something and you don't know anything about the person, you would say, oh, someone forgot their their bag. Um, and everyone does that already. Yeah, but when I say someone, it's it's already given me an idea that we're talking about one. But the yeah. thing is about they is the fact that if I, if you if you say oh they forgot their bag, right? Mm. Um, so now one has to be very careful today. Is it they in the context of multiple people in the English language, or is they in a context of a pronoun from a queer perspective? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can always just ask that as a clarifying question. Like, right. Nalidi and I have lots of friends that are non-binary and sometimes when we're having conversations right, um, right. we might ask like oh they as in this person or and it's the same thing like i could be talking about you two yeah um and you both use he him yeah and then i could be talking to the lady and be like oh he said this and then he said this and then the ladies might say wait he as in tony or he as in morrow because right right more than one so person. it's more about clarity basically. yeah, yeah. Right. And I think, like, largely the context of the discussion will also guide you in terms of what you might be speaking about. Like, if, like, yeah, like, you can usually figure out it's hardly an an issue um, when, you know, Jean-Louise is referring to a person as they, them, because we might have referred to them by name prior and we're still talking about Mm. the the individual and using their their pronouns. I, I know that we're not talking about a group of people. So... Yeah, like but that's that's if you are informed about the, the 
the linguistics of the particular, like for the queer community, it becomes more easier. Then if I'm if I persist on being ignorant, I'll always get lost, isn't it? I mean, that's your that's one's prerogative, I guess. But and I guess that's the whole idea behind, you know, the use of actively and like finding out from people what their pronouns are. Is it's trying to bring it into normative culture to us so that it isn't a thing of you have because okay i think there's the way of you know doing life as a queer individual but the whole point of you know it is that you want your way of living to be a part of normative culture you don't want it to be a marginalized idea of being queer as differentiated um Mm. from non-queer individuals so you're trying to bring your way of being into mainstream life in the same way that like on racial tensions people are trying to bring you know representation into mainstream life so that it isn't a thing of well i'm ignorant so i don't know what it is that you're talking about so i'm, I'm just not going to engage that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah but the thing is then can we talk about if ever there's a boundary as to to what extent can we go in terms of the pronouns is there ever a boundary and who should determine what the boundary is because for instance now i'm thinking this on a more practical level Mm -hmm. as a lecturer i've got a lot of students in my class Mm -hmm. and now a lot of universities sort of push lecturers to sort of respect students by using their pronouns and whatsoever Mm -hmm. and then not so long ago even when you watch um, matt walsh documentary what is a woman then that's where i got to sort of learn that oh there's actually i don't know if there's a pronoun but you'll tell me someone would say i am a something panda is it a panda or wolf um yeah uh, um so so where would you say is there a boundary where would you say the boundary should be and because now if everybody's gonna have their own this one is a queer panda that one is a queer uh, queers we love to use different words to describe ourselves but um i mean like i'm I'm not sure exactly what you're speaking about but there's Mm -hmm. definitely people who um gay men who might refer to themselves as bears, which is more of like an aesthetic choice, really. It's not like I am a bear. <laughs> it's, not like, it's just like, it's just like vernacular right, right. Um, lingo. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about. Um, but I guess it's like less about having a boundary and also like, it's interesting. Um, people have also been like non-binary, mm-hmm. gender fluid for forever. Um, and I think that's something that's often like not really acknowledge more broadly that there's been different gender expressions. Um, And it's really a very colonial construct, this like male, female, Mm. man, woman, that has been imposed on a lot of people. Um, So I think like it's, if anything, it's like going, like respecting what has been as well. It's not a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think like that's more important than like having a boundary on it because Gender expression is so expansive. I think that that's exciting and great, you know. Mm. Exactly. I I would put in more of a, like, um, that old, this conversation about pronouns uh, is perhaps interesting to have, but I think it boils down to whether or not I'm loving my neighbor. Mm. That's how I look at it. And if if I am, then it's like, yeah. What is I'm loving my neighbor? You're talking about from the religious context or just... (laughs) Whichever way you want Whichever to take way. it, but yeah, right. am I treating my uh, my next of kin with respect? Or right. That's right. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So uh, perhaps on on that context of um, how certain experience experiences uh, the queer community is trying to break away from convention, how would you describe your journey 
as, mm-hmm. a, as a lesbian woman, adulting. Do you want to go first? No, please lead the way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I keep speaking first. <laughs> um, I do think Naledi's more experienced than me, but um, so wait, what? Can you say the question again? Just your experience in general, I guess, navigating the world um, and. Uh, learning more about yourself yeah. and how to express yourself? Mm, I think um, I came out not that long ago. Um, and again, even that's a whole can of worms in its own. It's like a, a continued thing um, coming out. It's not like you do it once yeah, and it's done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think growing up, I was very... Um, I, I would say like very much in those normative roles um, of both gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my Afrikaans background, there's like very, you know, specific gendered expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I fit into that for a lot of my life, like being quite feminine and, you know, thinking that I wanted to date men. Um, but... I think, oh gosh, it's a hard question. How does it all unravel? <laughs> um, actually, interestingly, I was at um, UCT, University of Cape Town, doing like a race, class and gender course. And I remember at that time, I was like thinking so much like, oh my goodness, like, am I queer too? Like, I don't really know if I'm right. attracted to men. And like, um, it was something that I always thought about, but it was like being in a place away from home that kind of allowed me to explore that a bit more. Um, And now I'm just really rambling because it's a really hard thing to answer. (laughs) I I, I didn't have like a distinct moment of realizing, let me say. It was like an unraveling and a relearning. A hundred percent. I think everyone in general just goes through this process of seeing that the world has expectations about you and you don't always agree with some some of those expectations. I think myself as a black man at times, mm-hmm. uh, even amongst uh, other people of color, they might expect me to react in way X about topic X. Mm. And I might go, yeah, but that feeling of being boxed as this because of of uh, my identity mm-hmm. is just not good. I would rather uh, carve my own path, so totally. to say. So I guess everyone goes through that. Yeah. It is a complicated question, but yeah, I just thought... Perhaps new Elodie, what would your experience be in terms of like I, I think like just Finding for clarification, yourself, find yeah. myself. Um, I think like as it relates to my queerness and finding myself like as that comes together. Um, I think that first of all, I think like my queer identity has permeated. I think um, a lot of aspects of my life, and I think it's more around the idea of for me what embodies like queerness. Queerness is like other in my in my mind it's like you know the the marginal the subversive it's that which is not for the most part and not normative and so for me what that has allowed me is the freedom i think to explore like avenues of or ways of structuring my life that are not like paid to normative culture i think like for me i figured out that i was um a lesbian when i was 16 so it's in that time when it is that like you're beginning to formulate your initial sexual self so i think it informed my sexual perspective in terms of whom i attracted to and then i think when i went to varsity um i think queerness then shifted from being a sexuality to a cultural sort of 
um, experience for me because I think this is my perspective. It's not one that's necessarily shared by everybody in you know, the queer community, but I feel like queerness is both a sexuality and a cultural experience. Um, and so I began to sort of delve into that aspect a lot more. And like I said, what it allowed me is the freedom to play with different parts of myself and structure my life in ways that are not sort of like normative because the thing about being queer is because it's a little younger in sort of like everyday society, it means that there aren't as strict established rules as they are for like, you know, when it is that you're not queer, you're a, a, like a non-queer woman. Maybe it is that there's the strong expectation to fit a specific role, mm -hmm. although we all know that we're reeling against expectations. Exactly. But here, like my parents had no expectations for me as far as like marriage when they realized I was queer. Oh. So it meant that however it is like, you know, the, the topic of Lavola falls off the table or it stays on the table depending on what your preference really is. But that's the point. The moment it is that you identify as being queer, there are a lot of things which it is in your life you begin to actually say, okay, well, are we going to do it like this? Because we don't have to. I mean, Jean-Louise and I were having a chat earlier on about house chores, I guess. And people would think, obviously, in heteronormative instances, like chores would be split in specific ways. Once again, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's a lot more of an explicit thing where it is, there's no standard. So we really have to create the standard a lot of the time. But yeah, that's been fun because it means then my life, I am more deliberate about the way in which it is that I've structured my life and the way in which it is that I do things as far as the expectations of me. So yeah, I've loved it personally. Um, yeah. Recommend it to everybody. <laughs> Once again, I'm recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to sort of touch base a bit on that recruitment part. Is it is it, is it a joke, or take it how you part of it? Part of it, part of it, it is there. Will. No, but the <laughs> thing is, being vague again is another thing, you know. And 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 I think that the idea of recruiting is very important because most of the cisgendered men whatsoever they tend to sort of. I think I think this could be me, but you'll tell me what you think. They're, they're more open towards lesbian couple or lesbian individuals mm. uh, than gay uh, uh, people. And, and, and the whole conversation has been about gay people always want to recruit. Gay people always see a straight person as somebody that they can sort of test out or whatsoever. Mm. And the very same question you said earlier on where you said you often ask people, are you sure you're not kind of... Okay, so like I obviously like because I'm playful and in jest, I'll say I'm trying to recruit. But what I'm really, what I really mean by that is that, so I will often get the question of, um, how do you know that you're gay, lesbian, queer, whatever? Right, and it's a fair question, fair enough. At least for me, I'm not pressed by it. But nobody ever asks you, how do you know that you're straight? Mm. Fair. So all I'm really saying to people, only when queer it, people dare to ask straight people, how do you know you're straight? Yes, but and that's the point is that. Sometimes you'll find that, like, as a, as a straight person, you've just never really thought about it. And I think, remember, in terms of being queer, you can actually still align to sort of, like, the sexuality which it is that you're practicing. But you don't realize that it's actually a lot more expansive than you, than, than you maybe initially thought. So you think, okay, well, maybe I'm pansexual in the sense that I'm not bound by the gender of the individual. Um, I just love who I love. But you've never thought to question that because, well, you've just assumed that you're straight. And so I have to ask, well, how do you know? What if you are? It could be fun. I'm just saying. <laughs> but what does it mean to be straight? It's a good question. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's one of those uh, moments where you kind of have to... Uh, agree that you're a victim of convention and you perhaps never thought about it 
how would you answer since that? How do, you, how do you know you're thinking, straight, Tony? Since when you start thinking in a postmodern kind of a thinking. <laughs> what do you mean? I've known you being very specific. What does that mean? Um, like conforming to the no, you heteronormativity no, or whatever? You I haven't. No, no. I'm wrong? Yeah, you're probably wrong. I just, how I've you, never... How do you know you're straight, Tony? Uh, you're trying to derail the question. No, no, no. I'm coming to your question, but I was You're just trying. I was just trying to pass. I'm trying to pass there first, yeah. um, because I thought you know, it's it's surprising for me to hear you say one believing that they're they're straight is sort of them conforming to you know. No, not not believing that I'm straight. Never asking myself mm. how do I know I'm straight. So, yeah. uh, an exercise of epistemology rather than of. Uh, uh, whether or not I have made a decision yet. So how do I know uh, how I live to be, um, yeah, what I expect of myself, of life? Like, I've never thought about it. I just assumed and acted that way. Right. Does that make sense? So in my response, perhaps let me also fall on the sword of the conventional, following the conventional <laughs> straight would be, one would say, as a guy, am I only attracted to women? I've yeah. I never really even think at all about, you know, playing around or experimenting with another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that how you know you're straight? Yeah. Okay. But you see, like, even answering like that, that's the tip of the iceberg. Because <laughs> I think for you, like, you're saying, okay, well, I know that I'm attracted to women. That's very fair. But now then it becomes a question of, okay, women look like different like look very different in today's world you get obviously trans women you get um cis women that would be cis women than trans okay. women and 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 feminine than than those would fall on you know different temperament like masculine mm. men or whatever. and you see and so that's fair so you're obviously answering it now but i think beyond this conversation like have a think and ask yourself okay well and the reason why it's important i think to do thinking like this is because you don't want to fall into the trap of picking up conventional culture because it was convenient, which that's fine too. But I will continue to say life is a little bit more fun on the other side. But if it, if it was convenient as opposed to me accepting the conventional way, suppressing the fun that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, why then should it be a bigger deal? What do you mean? Why? Explain. In a, so you're saying there's more fun on the other side, and I'm saying, but apart from the fact that that kind of response follows the conventional way, mm-hmm. um, but what if then people say it follows the conventional way, but I'm just comfortable with it, then trying to sort of explore the other side because of the fear of following the conventional way. Um I guess what I'm saying is that for some people, it really isn't more bothering whether it's a matter of you following the conventional way or not. Uh, But it's just that's how you feel. No, and I think like it's not to say that at the end of one's interrogation, you should come to a different answer. It's just like we want to live examined lives in in the different ways in which it is that we operate. Um, There are spaces where it is that if we think within ourselves, there was a time a couple of years where you didn't believe in specific things, but now you have a belief and understanding of that thing, right? You've grown in that perspective. And so we want to live a life where it is that we examine who we are and the choices that we make and not fall to a point of complacency. However, if it is that you feel that like 
heterosexuality resonates with you and you've mm-hmm. thought about it, then it does. Like, and your life will be just fun. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm going to, you know, joke around as I do and, you know, say recruit. life is fun on the queer side and recruit. <laughs> and I think that it is. I have my yeah. reasons for why it is that I say that jokes aside. Mm-hmm. However, I don't want to discount the fact that there is a lot of goodness gained in being heterosexual i think like if it's something that resonates with you that's good but that's the point is that try and actually interrogate what resonates for you and think about it and once you come to that conclusion as far as it is that you can pursue that and i also think that like the lack of interrogating that um has meant that a lot of people haven't felt comfortable necessarily to explore that um side of themselves um and i think if it was a far more normalized to be like what actually is your sexuality um like throughout your life then it might not be so hard for people to say oh yeah I actually am queer um because like I I even know like a lot of my well not a lot a number of people in my family who've never come out because it has never been an option or presented as something that's okay but if it was normalized throughout their life and if it was a thing that everyone did like choosing a career or like whatever else we decide about in life then maybe that would make it easier for people to first off you didn't answer me what it means to be straight you'd rather throw the question back at me but it's up to you if you'll respond to that i wanted to ask uh jean and jean and um naledi uh have you tried uh how was your experience have you tried being straight and that didn't work and then you were sure that nah this is not the way well i think that queer people were often asked like um did we try or like how how did we know that we're queer and i think it comes back to that thing that naledi said again that like straight people aren't asked did you try it so mm-hmm. like did you try being gay and now you know you're straight so i think i understand your question but i think sometimes it's used to like illegitimize our queerness um if we did act straight for a while um in what way because then like it can be like well are you really queer then or um it's kind of like a badge of honor sometimes for some queer people too to be like i never yeah, so if I was you've never had straight. straight experiences, then you're not as legitimate as a as a lesbian, is that? Yeah, I mean, like some some people can view it like that, or like I think interrogating our queerness in that way sort of misses the point a bit because straight people aren't asked the same thing. Mm. No, Does but now sense? we're having the we're having the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand if it's just somebody from outside asking you that. It'll feel like, yeah. okay, why are you asking me that? It's the same way as a question was asked yeah. of me, right? And the way in a letter often ask people that have you tried, you might be missing something out, right? No, For some, I ask people about whether they've interrogated. Whether they've interrogated, right. Yes, I don't right. have. I don't think that. I think it must be very clear that one can be queer without never ever ever having had a quote unquote queer experience, whatever that means, because I think that's even vast. Yes, and somebody can be straight and never had had sex with somebody of the opposite sex it's not predicated on what it is that you get up to as far as your activities i think it's far more an internal experience and reflection on what it is that you understand what your attractions look like um and attraction even that is like something to unpack because you get physical mental attraction and looks like different things but it's more have you interrogated the idea for yourself um 
but to answer, answer your question, question yes. <laughs> I consider myself a bi-curious lesbian. You know how you get bi-curious heterosexuals? Well, I'm a bi-curious lesbian. So my experiences have almost exclusively been with women, but every now and again, I've been like, let's see what all this hype is about. You know, this <laughs> hype about cis men. Let's see what this, <laughs> let's, let's try it out. And then like, you know, I'll go on a date with somebody and I'll be like, no, not Just for me. So, so, how, how would you, so bi-curious? By curious, as in like sometimes I'll dabble with the cis man, but but you wouldn't consider yourself bi. Oh no, I'm just making a joke. I consider myself lesbian. Like, yeah, um, okay. like okay. So in terms of like, but it goes as far as just dinner, not bedroom stuff. Um, like I've had one bedroom stuff experience <laughs> with a guy, and like once again, it was from the perspective of like, well, I want to just try it out. I want to see because I think I'm the type of person that. I have a certain comfortability in terms of like just trying things out that are not necessarily my preference. I don't lose anything from it. And like, yeah, so tried it. I was like, no, I think I'm good. Like, you know, not as magical as it's, it's not even a thing of like magic per se. It's just that like in the same way that it is that, you know, that you're attracted to like, you know, women, like you get all of the feelings that come with it. I think for me, something similar happens with cis men. Um, you know, and I can find a guy attractive and, like, you know, go on a date and, like, it can be all well, but it just doesn't for me quite... Like, I don't get that something-something inside that I assume one's supposed to get. But, yeah. The the point about questioning my queerness, right, um, has, has been quite a big thing and looking at sort of the trans community right now, the narratives around the trans community where people would speak about gender dysphoria um, being central. How, how, how does that make you guys feel? And, and maybe if, Jean, you can extend it more to say somebody questioning your, your queerness, but is it, is it questioning your queerness in a sort of malignant way? Or it's questioning your queerness in a sense of perhaps on a medical spectrum trying to find out whether is this person really dealing with just trauma and at this particular moment they might be confused about everything around them or indeed um that's who they are and we just have to respect and accept them and i mean i'm asking this in a respectable way um in a sense that I'm not even sure if I should use this example because it's just going to be one my voice over the other. But as an example, I had a, f- a friends they were queer, a lesbian couple, but turns out one was in a heterosexual relationship but experienced a lot of violence, physical violence. Um, and then she decided to then stop with that until she tried something out with a lady. And the lady was really loving and caring to her and so on and so forth. But then later on through religious beliefs and whatsoever, the lady underwent, you know, deliverance, sort of say, in a Christian way. And then uh, went back to get married to a man and then have a child and whatsoever. And she's very uh, sure that she is, you know, heterosexual. Um, all those kind of things, when we see them sometimes, and I mean, you do research from a research perspective, the fact that you see one person doing something completely different, chances are that there's a number of people who might actually be um, doing that one thing completely different. Perhaps we're just not open enough to sort of look at society how it is. I guess my question is very broad in a sense, and I'm trying to understand that, but should it? why should we see it as almost an attack or as in 
undermining uh, one's queerness whenever one starts to question. I I don't have an issue with people asking questions about my queerness, but I think that there is a bit of a double standard um, in that straight people aren't asked the same questions. Um, and I, I do think that there is also like quite a misconception that like queerness is linked to trauma. Right. Um, and... Are you saying not at all? No, I'm not saying not at all. Like, yeah. I think, I think, again, um, in some ways, it kind of misses the point of, like, trying to pinpoint the reason why yeah. someone's queer. Yeah. Because they just are, and that's also okay. Um, like, you know, some people say that they're born that way. Some yeah. people say that they only found out later in life. Maybe some people say it is because of trauma. And, like, for whatever reason, someone is queer. I think that that should be okay and it doesn't need to be for validated yeah because yeah. none is done on over straight people right whether you're straight because you have traumatic experiences yeah exactly i'm i i think it's quite random to me like i, I was also asked that like mm. am i okay like when i like i i um some of my family thought that i was suicidal when i um came out i was like i'm actually really happy um i'm in a relationship <laughs> with the lady we're having a great time <laughs> Like it's all it's all really positive, um, and even in terms of like uh, gender dysphoria. Um, again, I'm not trans myself, but that's not like a requisite for being trans. A lot of people experience gender euphoria um, as a trans person, and that's also super valid. So I think I understand what you're saying, but I think it's like less important than some people think it is mm. to like pinpoint the reason. Yeah. 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 So there is pathologizing queerness, yes. which is not happening within heterosexual. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I just don't really see the need to pathologize it because it's not it's not like a harmful or a bad thing. It's just like like the lady says, it's like a lot of fun, and I think it's kind of funny sometimes, like hearing how we're perceived from like the outside because yeah. we're just not everyone. Obviously, the experience of queerness is very diverse, and depending where you live, it can actually be traumatic if you're not accepted. But, like, for us, mm-hmm. we're having a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the misconceptions out there, would you say, people tend to uh, mention the most, aside from, have you had straight experiences? What are the misconceptions would you? Could you list at the top of your head? I think, well, um, they perceive, like, lesbian relationships to be just, like, really cute and cuddly. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're just, like, having sleepovers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's one that's yeah and then i think also the idea of gendered roles within within um queer relationships so somebody's supposed to be like you know i think the the man like i'm putting Mm. quotation marks um and somebody's supposed to perform the role of the woman and that's that just simply doesn't happen with us in that way so that's another misconception which people have um people making assumptions based on your presentation because a lot of like queer people, even if we might not be non-binary or trans, we we might present our gender in a bit more of like a fluid way. Mm. Um, and like Melody being more masked, people making assumptions about her, like that she's yeah. fulfilling those roles, but yeah. she's yeah. like the softest sweetie. I'm, <laughs> I'm just simply not. I'm not at all. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think those are some of them. And for the most part, for me, at least, those are innocuous. You know, I just, mm. I think... Uh, look at the straight people go. Um, <laughs> I, I joked myself, but 
like you know it, it really doesn't bother me but i think yes the ones which tend to be a little bit more harmful is trying to pathologize the experience of being queer um and i think yeah queer in all of its facets like i grew up like you know pretty like i enjoyed my childhood i didn't have any sort of like wild trauma but i was queer like you know i had both my parents in my life because mm-hmm. sometimes people say oh, maybe it's because you didn't have your father <coughs> no i grew up with my father um so yeah and like i've had experiences where it is that i think as far as my gender is concerned like i've had moments where it is that i'm trying to understand it for myself and trying to interrogate with it is that i consider myself trans or not like and sort of understanding what my gender looks like but once again i haven't had any sort of traumatic experiences that are linked to my sexuality um my parents are quite chilled about it if i'm being very honest that's really cool yeah and i'm I'm, I'm very lucky, but yeah. Jean, I was wondering, how it's been like for you dating a, a, a partner of color? Um, I think for me, it's been like obviously something that Naledi and I have spoken about pretty off the bat when we met and started dating. And we speak about race a lot in our relationship. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that from the outside... Um, I mean, it's like a bit of a, we, we got a real mixed bag because we're queer and interracial. So like in terms of telling my family, I was like, I don't know which which one's more <laughs> scandalous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't think about, like I, I, I thought about um, Naledi being, Naledi and I spoke about uh, racial dynamics going to my hometown and Naledi being black. But I also wasn't out to my family at that time. So I was just coming with my friend Naledi to my hometown. Um, but then when I did sort of come out to my extended family, um, it was definitely more of a concern for me, but I do also think Afrikaans people are far too like polite to your face, but I'm sure they had many things to say behind my back, but didn't say it to us. And I like were polite to us both, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it is something that we speak about in our relationship, um, power dynamics to be aware of and things like that. Um, but outside of our relationship, sure, people probably have opinions, but that doesn't affect me personally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. What about you, Nelly? Is there a experience uh, in, in being a lesbian woman that are uniquely uh, experienced by a lesbian woman of color that you feel that you've that you can share? Um, I think that like the intersection isn't being a queer woman of color within the context of race, but just being mm-hmm. like a woman of color, like in, as far as dealing with or as far as like navigating the racial differences between Jean Louise and I. It doesn't become, yeah, like it's not like, you know, the queer world looks at me like in a specific way as compared to Jean Louise. Um, I think that one is dependent on where I am, like whether I'm in South Africa or mm. I'm in Australia. Yeah. But I think, yeah, there's like, you know, there's definitely like, um, there's definitely aspects about the fact that we are different races that, you know, come up within the within our relationship and that are points of like conversation. And it goes back to what John Louise was saying around, you know, the the power dynamic that exists because of our racial difference. But I think that, that one is even an intersecting experience because we have racial differences, but we also have class differences in terms of maybe our upbringing, those bring its own sort of, yeah, like I said, intersectional experience. But 
no, there isn't anything that from the outside world, my being a queer black woman I've experienced, I think in terms of differences, it's more like just being a black woman. That's, yeah, there are some differences there. Wow. That's fair. But do you want to maybe share a bit about like um, your experiences in Cape Town versus Joburg? Because I just think like- How would they be different? Oh yeah, because the lady loves Joburg, and I also oh, yeah. love Joburg. But maybe you can speak on that because, like, that is different in terms of your experience of race in between the two. Ah, uh, okay, that's a fair point, I guess. Um, like, what from the perspective of like the dating perspective, or in terms of like the general perspective? Yeah, and like queer um, parties and stuff. Uh, okay, that's a fair point. I think that, and that I guess then has less to do with our relationship. But I find that, um. I enjoy Joburg, I think, a lot more as far as like my experience of it. I recognize that I have not I have not found myself in all spaces in Cape Town. But for me in Joburg, I find a lot more queer black people, whereas in, jo- in Cape Town, I find a lot more queer colored people or white people, though still white people are a very small group. But yeah, and I think that has definitely shaped, I think, why it is that I enjoy it more, because I feel like people are more receptive to you when they look like you. I, I know that's something we say, okay, um, when we're talking about people of color, people tend to homogenize the experience. That's not the case. Like, you're experienced differently even amongst different people of color. Um, and, yeah, Joburg, I just, I feel like I fit in better for whatever reason that might be. I don't know if it is because I'm black, but, yeah, I find that I fit in better there. In terms of activism, would you align with your Black Lives Matter and... Or you're more likely to be part of, you know, the Pride um, event? Um, I don't think, once again, that's a dichotomous thing. It's not like I'm more part of one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that because different aspects inform, like, there are different, there's different representations in those that are my own experience, it means that in different moments, those things become relevant at different yeah. points in time. Yeah. So, but I think also, like, as far as Black Lives Matter, I think the experience of it being a South African versus Black Lives Matter, looking at it within America, where you have a diasporic group of individuals, I think that's also a very different experience because it's a lot easier when you live in a country where most of the people mm-hmm. look like you mm-hmm. and your government looks like looks you. Like, yeah. yeah, I think that's a very different experience. I guess the point that I was trying to, okay, what I'm sort of trying to get out of that and uh, Jean maybe you can also jump in here is in terms of within the queer community is there ever a moment to ever think of where queerness and blackness intersect so to say to the point that people don't feel like I'd rather be part of a pride movement than be finding myself in it you know um Black Lives Matter movement. But basically, it's more to, to, to find out to what extent do you think the queer community or you guys, because you're not going to speak for the entire queer mm. community, but perhaps you guys think about the importance of understanding that everything, every movement might be a matter of human rights, so to say. Um, and it does not necessarily mean I have to be black to find myself in a Black Lives Matter movement, right? Mm. But it's to also understand the fact that my absence as a white person to a black movement, for instance, um, to what extent would it contribute towards a black person tomorrow not wanting to be 
to consider a movement that might be um, intending to represent sort of white minority who might be marginalized in a certain space? Because I feel like there's a lot of, there's this much proclivity for people to say, I identify a lot with, with blackness, therefore, you know, climate change movements have got nothing to do with me. Um, fees must fall has got nothing to do with me i've got the money i can pay for my own fees and whatsoever but basically you doing that uh, means something to the person you're sharing the space with right and and not coming to the party for the other person and this is the same also for straight people i think i've seen few number of straight people now kind of celebrating pride and come out but mostly it's celebrities in the context of south africa those that i've seen as opposed to just the general I'm not sure I understand the question. So, are you asking, is there a point where <coughs> membership in one community negates membership in another? Is that. Um. <laughs> who, who, who I said go all around. I think right? I. I yeah. think, um, there's a South African activist, actually. I cannot remember his name. Is it Joseph or James Nkwali? And he um, has like a famous quote about being like someone asked him a similar question and he, he said, I am black and I am a gay man and I can't separate the two um, because he was uh, he, him and another woman started one of the first um, queer groups in South Africa um, during apartheid and um, they were speaking about the fact that both issues do intersect and you can't really like separate them. So I don't know if that's kind of like what you're Yeah, it's at. more of what I'm asking, whether looking at the queer community today and the way things have sort of advanced, is there a space where you feel like the queer community is not sort of saying, uh, it's not just about, you know, queer ideas, but can we think more on a humanistic perspective? Ah, I think I think I get you. Like, I think that's also what you were saying before in terms of like, queerness as like a cultural identity yes. that people who identify as queer not always but like there's there's the different there's like the lgbt community mm. and then the queer community which is obviously a part of that um we sometimes are like the umbrella but also like a subsect mm -hmm. some people don't identify as queer who might identify as gay and often not yeah. always but often people who identify as queer, it's like in a political sense as well. Right. Um, and I do think a lot of queer spaces advocate for people beyond them, if they might be like a white queer person, for example. But there's also a lot of histories of exclusion of people of color in queer spaces. So now like in Australia, for example, and I can't really speak on this, but I've seen, there's a lot of spaces that have been created for queer people of color um, in Australia because there's not, as much representation. Are there. they by themselves or they're sort of integrated within queer white spaces? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I think that there's some spaces that are autonomous, like a people of colour yeah. only, but I think for the most part there are white people present there as well. Because I don't know about what you w would think about that. Um, a part of me, a part of my heart breaks when I see stuff like that happening, you know, excluding people. And at the same time, yes, we do want to sort of find ourselves within our own in-group because that's where we're sort of more comfortable to speak about certain things and so on and so forth. But again, to have just a queer for a white space and a queer for a black space, at the end of the day, chances are we are going to find ourselves talking about allocation of resources or availability of resources among that. And the more then we sort of add on to those things, the more 
we are sort of going to drift instead of sort of coming together. I could be wrong in terms of my analysis, so to say. So there were some people who said, who'd say unless Black Lives Matter does not include Black Queer Lives Matter, therefore why should I be in a Black Lives Matter? But I don't see that as the queer person sort of being unfair, but I see the queer person as saying you might be cisgendered male and heterosexual, very proud of your heterosexuality, but I mean, at the end of the day, you you don't just have to think about, you know, your blackness in the context of black class matter. You also need to think about the fact that there's also other people who are black, but the fact that they might be embracing other sexualities doesn't mean you don't have to consider them. Mm, totally. And I mean, that that sort of creates more of a divide for me. And the more mm. further we're moving away from being united. But would you... Isn't that like I I don't know I this I think it's interesting because like even in South Africa there there was so many conversations about that that like women were left behind in the freedom struggle even and it's like then I don't know where where do you draw the line on that um, because it's like who are you trying to push forward and who are you leaving behind and can't everyone move forward together I don't know what do you think Melody um wow so I guess I've just been trying to understand I think that. I think in an ideal world where it is that you have um, a group of people who are historically marginalized and pushing for for representation, you would hope that they would have a level of consideration for other marginalized groups, understanding intimately that experience, right? However, that's not how the world works. And I think sometimes we can be a bit um, myopic in our focus, even if it is a good focus. Like my issues are you know, I'm worried about queer lives or I'm worried about black lives. We are a bit selfish sometimes. We do tend to focus on the things that impact us most and struggles or movements or activism that resonates most with our our experience. That's what happens. So I think it's just that conversation of, well, we know what the ideal should be and we know what it is that we should aspire to, but it obviously doesn't always happen like that. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And I think like as far as also like queer spaces like, you know, um being inclusive, I think yes. But once again that's an ideal because now you're undermining the intersection of what the racial experience might be because I'm not going to lie to you. I don't care to spend a whole bunch of time with a largely white queer group even though i love being queer i just don't because i think as you said the experience is different there are different topics of conversation by virtue of our racial experience you want a more intersectional experience where it is you have both representation on your blackness and your queerness so like i think yeah like with a lot of things it's an intersecting experience Mm. of different positionalities and identities yeah and i think it just comes down to like if someone like alerts you to it like i don't think it does any harm to try and include them yeah Yeah. i mean that's the point for me to say apart from or even apart from the fact that maybe somebody might have raised it to what extent then would you say um the queer community does think about other intersecting things around because i think dave Chappelle said this that is it dave Chappelle? somebody said this that you know, sometimes um, a queer black man might decide to go on a pride movement and whatsoever. And that can be very good and whatsoever. But you find that when you go back home, you experience a racial 
whatever epithets being said onto you whatsoever. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Therefore, the importance of actually seeing on how the two actually intersect with one another than people saying, I'd, I'd rather hold on to the fact that I'm just queer and let go of the other black experiences because they've got nothing to do with me. And there's another philosopher, um, I think it's Peter Rollins, if I'm not mistaken, who speaks about it's not Peter Rollins, I forget this person. But we said something about very often one's toxicity is because of your own toxicity. In a sense that seeing Black Lives Matter coming out um, might be a result of you as a white queer person also overlooking their real lived experiences and the needs of black people, but only pushing the agenda of queerness, but also from the space of whiteness. Mm. So I guess that's what I'm trying to sort of figure out. And the question is asked by Dave Chappelle, can a gay person be racist? And and sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes, um, and he says this in a more of a joking way, but obviously if you're familiar with the works of Dave Chappelle, he really is big in terms of studying, you know, race theories and whatsoever and sort of trying to intersect all those things. He's actually the one who pointed out the fact that um, even within the lgbt community there's no sort of fairness for everybody there's sort of kind of structures and sort of say for sure. and it was like the trans community uh is sort of in the back seat if, if people are driving in a car the trans person is in the back seat yeah. but in the front you'll find sort of the gay person and the lesbian person yeah but of which flame monroe if you if you know flame monroe um uh uh flame monroe is another controversial character she she's um trans but Flame went onto the breakfast show and said, I'm part of the trans community only four hours a day. And that, that then sort of stirred up this whole thing. And I, I guess maybe we can also touch on onto this later on the, the sort of exploitation of movements for personal gratification because those are other things that we sort of not tend to touch more on. So Flame saying I'm part of the trans community, it means Flame is part of the LGBT. And then when Netflix signed flames onto mm. their production technically they've signed an lgbt person a person of color mm. a woman slash so many things in one body but then the the trans community some of them will be quiet to hear someone say i'm only part of the lgbt for hours a day so what does this mean clearly to me this means that this person is sort of exploiting the movement and putting that in a more further context sorry i know that i'm sort of loading up and so on i go to one university in Australia and apply for a job and then I'm told that you're not part of a minority. In order for you to be a minority, it's either you have to be part of the Aboriginal community or you have to be a woman or you have to be part of the LGBT. And I thought to myself, hmm, hmm. since now being queer necessarily might not have to do with, the, or being trans might not necessarily mean I have to go and change my genital or whatever, why not just change and say I'm trans for the purpose of just my own gratification so I can get a position. So I think there's those political things very often that I've, I would love to sort of hear from a queer community as to how do they tackle, how do they address those things. Each and every movement has got people who exploit the movement. Each and every movement, including Black Lives Matter. If you saw the, the, the documentary by Candace Owen, who's basically pointing out that few billions were sort of stolen which was supposed to be uplifting the Black Lives Matter movement. People used it for their own personal gratification and stuff like that. Sorry for <laughs> just hanging quite a mouthful. <laughs> it's been a monologue, right? <laughs> so what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> 
perhaps maybe let me reduce all the other stuff that I've said and if you're able to sort of remember you can tap onto it how do we deal with people who sort of exploit movements for their own personal gratifications people who who claim to be hence they're not but claiming to be comes with them getting certain privileges um I mean I think that like is a bit of a doozy of a question because it's first the question of okay in exploiting this identity which i'm assuming they don't actually identify with on a day-to-day basis um in what context are they exploiting it like is it for social is it for monetary and then if it's for monetary well then it becomes a question of this the sort of the systems which are in place to i don't actually know because now it's like you know saying okay well people must prove their their sense of identity their queerness um i haven't heard of anyone doing it i haven't either i think i think it's probably rare like i'm I'm sure people pretend to be lots of things all the time but like how how do do you you know like i think that that Mm. could be the case for almost any identity group sure but it's it just seems like it seems like quite a um task to have to then pretend to be queer for the foreseeable future to get a job for example um i don't know if people would do that really i i do think that sometimes there is a co- there, there are conversations within the queer community about um like white queers and i'm a white queer myself but weaponizing their queerness so maybe that's something that kind of relates to what you were saying um to kind of be like i'm persecuted or um to yeah to get sort of social standing of sorts that is something that we do talk about within the queer community of not taking up space just because you are queer because there are the intersecting right. identities i i love that phrase you not taking up space mm. I, love, I love that expression yeah because i think that um that goes across with like all sorts of different movements. Of course, there are issues of power and privilege within different movements and the queer movement isn't an exception to that. Um, Wouldn't you say the fact that then, because that is not something that is, and I'm not sure whether this question would be good for a queer community or this might be good for more of a feminist movement. Um, The fact that perhaps it's not talking about how do we, treat somebody that we know might be sort of um, exploiting the movement for their own personal gratification. That being the reason that perhaps also restorative justice is missing in different kinds of movements, um, so to say. Um, so if I, would, I was speaking this in a context of a feminist movement, I'll sort of give an example in terms of if a woman claims that a heterosexual man raped him but just that being done with the intent to tarnish somebody else's name and, you know, you face all the cancel culture, lose your job and whatever, then later it's figured out that this person was never raped. There was just other personal vendetta happening between the two people. Then you find that then the feminist movement that might have worked so hard to sort of tarnish somebody else's name does not sort of work hard again to come and help the person reclaim their dignity and does not also speak about then how do we deal with a woman who try to exploit the feminist movement by using lies. Yeah. So in the I don't know how I would phrase it in the context of the 
So are you trying to establish, like, I guess the mechanisms of restoration that are in place in light of people co-opting identities that they don't resonate with or experiences that are not really theirs? And all or everything, basically what you just said. Um, I mean, I think one with I think with a lot of these scenarios, it one depends on the nature of the exploitation that's happening. I think within a social space, if somebody is you know taking on an identity that really isn't theirs, I think with enough interaction with people from the community, mm. I, they're likely to be called out or build a bad reputation amongst people in that people understanding that it is not truly their identity. So I think those things, hopefully, those mechanisms, those social mechanisms begin to work themselves out. I think, yes, the problem does come in where people exploit it for economic gain, but I think that sort of corrupt behavior is doesn't seem to be something that's re- that really happens a lot. Mm. Um, it's not anything that I've ever heard of, if I'm going to be very honest. And I think like it's like any adverse behavior that we can speculate on. It's that what if somebody decided that, like it's like, for me it's like this. Like in Australia, for example, things are a lot safer in South Africa than they're not as safe, right? Maybe not the best analogy, but it's the one that comes to mind. And it's like saying, okay, well, why is it that when I'm here, like I feel a sense of comfortability in walking around the streets with like my headphones on? Yeah. And what stops somebody from deciding to steal the phone? Well, there's some sort of social um, standing, sort of social standards that have been established. And remember that these have been established because there's also a difference in economic experience between South Africa and Australia. So that's its whole home thing. It's all. It's whole own thing, sorry, but that's besides the point. So it's understanding that yes, somebody could steal the phone from me if they wanted to, like there's and you know, they could get away with it, but they don't because there's this understanding among society that that's not what we do or how we do it here, right? In South Africa, it would move a little bit differently. And like I said, that's possibly because of the economic experiences in the country and there's just a, a different social dynamic, that's fine. And so bringing it back to your initial question, it's saying, well, okay, what mechanisms do we put in place to ensure that people don't co-opt identities for economic gain? Well, is it really a problem? Are people really doing that? Yeah. No, we don't really hear about it. So it's like a sort of like that analogy that we'll deal with it if it does come. But mm. at this point in time, that's not an issue, you know. And yes, it's good to think about those things, you know, <laughs> and be preemptive. But sometimes it's just like, you know, you can be trying to preempt a lot of different things and you will never be able to yeah. fully get... I just have and, to. I've never heard of and it. And I feel like there's like bigger issues in the queer community than people pretending to be queer. Because, yeah, again, like neither of us have heard of it. Um, and like people using queerness for their own gain. Yeah, maybe some queer people do, but like a lot of people and a lot of different identities do. But people who aren't queer exploiting it, I don't know. Um, and even in terms of like the the feminist example like statistically that's so rare in and of itself false reporting so like really yeah i don't think so eh? it it actually there's actual i I can't think of the statistic off the top of my head but there's been research on the reporting of um how much of it's false reporting and it's like minuscule yeah but the thing is we I don't think we have to wait for it to be a big thing before we Mm. turn our lenses towards it Mm. Mm, I think like look I don't think you're very right in saying that it does we don't it doesn't need to be a big thing for us to turn our lenses to but I think with any sort of like 
I think with any sort of system or with any sort of procedure or happening that exists in this world, there are issues which arise with it, right? And it is very important, yes, to interrogate those things, but then you can't do it to the point of losing sight of the bigger fact that looks at the numbers of the amount of things that are actually happening and the true number of, like the number of cases that are actually true in terms of reporting. I think with anything that exists in life, there's going to be margins of error where things don't go or don't work the way they're supposed to. And it is not to discount those experiences. And I think there is some, that there does need to be a topic of conversation around the restoration for those people who do have who are adversely impacted in terms of their careers. That's a very fair point. However, I think that we must be careful in not overshadowing the very real problem that is attached to that around the amount of, you know, gender-based violence, mm. especially depending on the context. But, you know, like... And violence towards, like, queer people in South Africa, for example, and here as well. But, like, that to me is far more important than, like, the small number of people who yeah but again i mean you touching on the idea of gender-based violence again Mm -hmm. we cannot be blind to the fact that gender-based violence also has been sort of understood in one-sided way Um. so the question would still be do we have to then have a lot of men come in to report the fact that they've been abused by either their male partners or their female partners for us to start to say okay there should be a bit of a change in direction i mean I would agree with you if the numbers weren't as scary as they were in our country. And I think especially what's wild is the amount of... Okay, let's put it like this. I know, which is an unfortunate reality, I know most women in my life that have had an adverse sexual experience as far as with men, right? Um, But I don't know any man that has ever been convicted. Yeah. So it starts to highlight the reality of the problem is that there's a ubiquity in terms of the gender-based violence. And yes, you're right in the sense that we mustn't, we mustn't create a system where it perpetuates the idea of one side of the story. Mm-hmm. But the truth is mm-hmm. that side of the story seems to be the greater reality. And there is a lot of acknowledgement, for example, that it affects like disproportionately women and boys, like the feminist movement and the... The, I don't know about the queer movement, but also, I mean, it's all intersects. Don't ignore the fact that it, that there is a lot of gender-based violence mm-hmm. encapsulates predominantly women and boys. Um, so it's not like women are even saying this is just a woman's issue. Um, yeah. I, that's what I would say about You've that. You've been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you lost me like 20 minutes ago. I'm, <laughs> I'm just here. I'm just hearing. I'm, I'm learning. Um, wow. I don't know. Um, it's interesting that that it's interesting that then most of the stuff it's a matter of you've you've never heard of them. Oh. Um, uh, but in the case in the then in the case of flame that I spoke earlier on about flame, what would you say it comes to your mind if somebody says, "I'm just a member of the LGBT for for four hours." Was it a day? Is that is that a matter of saying the person doesn't understand queerness? But then we go back to that question of then who should give us the measuring stick of what queerness really is? I feel like also like queers should have the license to be a bad queer too. Like I think that like with all (laughs) minorities, there's like such a um, like thing. This you have to be like the perfect one of that. (laughs) So you can't be like a bad queer person, but you can be a bad person and be queer. Like. 
I, I, if a queer person did say I'm only queer for four hours a day, I'm like, okay, well, that's, I guess, your choice. Like, maybe they wouldn't be the queer person I'd want to hang out with because I love being queer, but, like, they're allowed to do that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, that's that's my thing, too. I think, like, it's... And this is the thing, is that in terms of being queer, like, in terms of people, like, uh, dissecting your life and dissecting experiences, and, like, it's like, okay, people are, like, sort of, like, uh, in the investigation playing, like, devil's advocate mm. a bit, but it's just, like... Mm, you don't really think about that yourself about your life you know it doesn't become an issue you know you don't you it's not like you know like do we yes okay we speak about people co-opting blackness right um and there are some people who are black and do some very questionable and racially questionable things right it happens but it doesn't sort of deter your perspective overall in terms of being black and in terms of the 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 value in having for example affirmative action programs what if somebody you're not thinking about what if somebody identifies as black on the form nobody can say prove your blackness and somebody Mm -hmm. can't say you're not black Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but you're not losing sleep over that idea that somebody might be co-opting blackness for their gain right are you around (laughs) or should i fire the last and then because I'd love to hear you coming in also somewhere. Yeah, shoot me a question. Um, but is there ever anything within the queer movement, and this is now a question that can get you in trouble with your <laughs> queer community, so <laughs> careful as you approach it. Is there anything ever that you'd say within the queer community still needs to be improved because maybe it doesn't make sense or maybe it is unfair? Because, I mean, as a black person, there's too many things, as Nellity just said now, not so long ago, that you find some few black people who who do things that are really, really despicable. So to say, there's a lot of black stuff also, a lot of stuff that, for me, I'll find sort of black people saying. For instance, you know, the branding of almost each and everything is a matter of racism, even when, personally, someone who studies racism on a research base on black, but I don't think that has anything to do with racism. Mm-hmm. Do you have that kind of a self-critique within the queer community? I think, like with, I think, you said, like with blackness, I think queerness doesn't exist in its own bubble outside of the greater world which it is that we live in. So people are people are people. The same issues which it is that you might face with people that you don't like as a black person or I guess whatever identity is, you're likely to face as a queer person, and I think for me, one of the biggest ones tends to be the topic around race, like that intersecting one is that, like, you know, I love being queer and it is like, you know, um, you know, like people tend to be, you know, forward thinking and progressive thinking, but we still live in the world we live in. I still live in the country mm-hmm. I live in. People have certain, um, you know, preconceptions. They have, you know, racial adverse racial attitudes like those are very real things um so there isn't like anything that i can say okay in the queer community as differentiated from any other community is that that i can say okay this is a thing that i don't like about the queer community no it's just more about communities in general you know that exist that you know the intersection between i think race and class i'll say like is something that's of an issue or something that I don't like. And I think 
once again, it goes back to that thing that maybe the expectation is higher being a queer person because you understand the the experience of being marginalized. Yeah. But then I think going back to then what John Louis said, queer people are just people as well, and you get bad queer people and you get good queer people in the same way you get bad people and good people. So yeah, I don't know. For me, that would be my sort of response in that. Yeah, I, I think I very much agree with you that there's definitely issues within the queer community, like all communities. And again, it is such a diverse and intersecting community. There's people of all different experiences who are queer. Um, and I think I agree with you, Naledi, that I think the biggest ones, again, like in a lot of society is around race and class within the queer community as well. There's a long way to go in that sense. And I would say as well, um, being more inclusive of the trans community um, within our own community. That's something that still has a long way to go, even though trans people very much pioneered our movement. So, yeah. Great answer. Anything from you? <laughs> no, I guess part of the conversation, uh, part of the this exercise for me was seeing you, Tony, ask a question and me wanting to hear uh, Naledi and John speak. Um, because my contribution can't be from the perspective of the movement, the movement itself. So, I, I guess part of my position was hearing, learning, mm. absorbing as much as I could. But uh, any questions? <laughs> from, you have any questions from our? <laughs> no. She hates. I'm. I, well, oh, what's hates, what's been um, your experience? with or around queer people like do you have any like things that you've thought or had to like overcome or learn um not necessarily um i grew up a number of my friends uh, were queer um family members mm -hmm. Um, I, perhaps I had my phase of asking questions, uh, perhaps mm -hmm. uh, less impressive questions to, to them. Um, obviously, um, I think as, as, as Nelly put it earlier, it has to do with individuals. Mm. I haven't heard two experiences of most things that are exactly the same. Yeah. I tend to want to have that perspective of who is this person that mm. I'm speaking to, what they, um, what experiences as, as they mm -hmm. had uh, when it comes to communities in general, I guess um, there are things that are interesting. Um, I, I think one of the uh, one of my friends, uh, he, he he's an homosexual and he would say so. The, I think you put it as well, Nelly, that point that because uh, our relationships don't follow convention, mm. we have to communicate everything. Yes. So we become so good at communicating. Yeah. But uh, cis relationships straight mm. relationships have convention the couples have to deal with convention so yeah. some things are harder to communicate because mm. they're expected mm. um that's such a good point yeah but a lot of it is just to learn more mm. well i love i love to yeah, yeah I, I love to hear that like I think more and more people are just around more exactly it's like not a big deal yeah so <laughs> ASNC, for example, right? Mm. I started ASNC, mm. and one of the positions that I made sure I included was uh, 
inclusivity and diversity mm. officer. Awesome. And I wanted that person at the time. And again, perhaps it was an overly ambitious mm. thing, but I wasn't at the time for the person to connect with UNSA mm. at the university, support and see how, you know, African students that mm. might identify could be supported. Mm. Um, but yeah, we never, we didn't get to explore that avenue too much yeah. during COVID as well. So but, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Perfect. Any closing kick us out <laughs> <laughs> on a positive note? No, this was fun. No, it really was. Um, yeah, our favorite insightful. topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our favorite topic. All right. Thank you so much for thank coming. Thank you. Yeah, thank really you for your time. Um, thank you. Thank you for having us. Chatting with you and having us in your house. No Hopefully we're going to work again in the future on yeah. some other things again. That's it, Visions and Towns. Um, my lady, Jean-Louise. And Maru, we'll catch you on our very last episode before we kick out of the year for season two in 2023. Have a good one. Easy. And go be best human beings, be best versions of yourselves. Cheers. <laughs>